Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. If I were going to summarize the Beatitudes we're going to look at, which is, in fact, a summary of the entire Sermon on the Mount, it's this. Those who model their attitudes, actions, and affections after Jesus Christ will experience a genuine joy in this life and unending happiness in the next life. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Trials and hardships take the fun out of life, don't they? Well, when bad things happen, our emotions often take a nosedive. Seems like a natural reaction, right? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shares how our worst moments can become opportunities for joy. The secret is found in a famous sermon that Jesus delivered. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Let me start today with a question. Do you think Jesus really cares about your happiness? I mean, some would say that it's not happiness he cares about. It's really a matter of feeling inner peace and contentment. But neither of those options sounds nearly as exciting as our happiness, right? Well, today we're going to listen to what Jesus said about your happiness in his famous Sermon on the Mount. But first, I want to remind you that on Monday, I mentioned for the very first time this month my best-selling book about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior About the Things That Matter Most. My book includes a whole chapter on the subject we'll address today, plus nine more. Subjects like cultivating intimacy in your marriage, learning to overcome worry over finances, and understanding how to deal with your enemies. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request your copy of my best-selling book, 18 Minutes with Jesus. In addition to my book, you'll also receive a companion study guide that goes into further depth on all 10 topics, including your personal happiness. We'll say more about my book and study guide after today's message. But right now, let's tackle the subject at hand. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Happiness. Is happiness really the best thing in the world? Yes. As long as you understand happiness the way Jesus understood it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we look at some straight talk from the Savior about our happiness. Now, I want you to notice each of what we call the B-attitudes. Each of these eight are a paradox. In fact, Jesus takes our expectations and turns them upside down about who is really blessed and approved by God. Let's look at these eight paradoxes. First of all, he begins by talking about the riches of poverty. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he doesn't say blessed are the poor. There's nothing about having no money that makes you happy. When he talks about poor in spirit, he's talking about joyful are those who realize their spiritual bankruptcy. Realizing your spiritual poverty is the beginning place of blessing. Secondly, he talks about the paradox of mourning, the comfort 
of mourning. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, when we think about mourning, we think in relationship to losing a loved one through death. There is a distress that comes from that. Perhaps the only thing more distressful than separation by death is separation from defection. For somebody to willingly separate themselves from you, to say that they no longer care for you, they no longer love you, that produces an emotional kind of death and separation. We understand that concept of mourning. And the Bible says, you shall be comforted one day, and that's true. But when we read this in context, this is building on the last beatitude, the poor in spirit. He's talking about those who are so spiritually bankrupt, they mourn over their condition. There is no relief that can match the relief of knowing your sins have been forgiven, that God no longer imputes them. He no longer holds them against you. How blessed is that person? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then in verse 5, Jesus talks about the strength of meekness. Remember, this is a paradox, the strength of meekness. You know, our way of thinking is weakness is nothing to be admired. Meekness is people who are doormats, pushovers, but that's not what the word meek means. In classical Greek, the word translated meek means power under control. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth, Jesus said. And then in verse 6, he talks about a fourth paradox, the fullness of hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger to live in a world that is characterized by righteousness. Now, the term social justice has become radioactive in society now because of all the political baggage that is attached to it. And those who are crying loudest for social justice in many ways are headed in the opposite direction. They think you can have social justice, a utopia, if you just cast off the restraints of God's word and embrace ungodly, unbiblical ideas. That's not the way to freedom, that's the way to bondage, slavery. So we need to understand what's going on with the social justice movement, but let's strip that aside for a moment. Wouldn't you like to live in a world that's characterized by justice? Don't you want to live in a world where you don't have to lock your doors at night? Don't you want to live in a world where there's no more war or terrorist activities? Wouldn't you like to live in a world where good always, not sometimes, always triumphs over evil? A world in which good things no longer happen to bad people and bad things no longer happen to good people. We all have a hunger to live in that kind of world. We crave justice because we're made in the image of God who is a God of justice. The Bible promises those who hunger and thirst for that will ultimately be satisfied when the Lord rules again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he talks about in verse 7, 
as we talk about our relationships with other people, the reward for mercy. Verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. A lot of people don't understand the difference between grace and mercy. Here's the difference. Grace is giving somebody what they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving people what they do deserve. Grace, giving people what they don't deserve, forgiveness. Mercy, not giving people what they do deserve, justice. You know people who run around all the time, I want justice, I want justice, I want justice. I want people to get what they deserve, but they sure don't want it for themselves. And I know, I'll be the first one to say, I do not want God to treat me with justice. I don't want God giving me what I deserve. I want grace. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve. You know, the Old Testament was based on justice. Leviticus 24, 19 to 21, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you take somebody else's eye out, they get to take your eye out. If you knock somebody's tooth out, they knock your tooth out. Gandhi once said, the problem with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is eventually everybody ends up blind and toothless. <laughs> that was never meant to sustain itself. Sometimes we need mercy. We need grace. We saw a great illustration of that. If you were watching any of the news coverage, you saw the sentencing of Kim Potter, the Minneapolis police officer who accidentally shot... Uh, uh, Dante Wright. Uh, she thought she was pulling her taser out and it was her gun. And interestingly, both sides, the prosecution and the defense, agreed that it was an accidental killing. Nevertheless, she received 24 months, two years in prison. The mother of Dante Wright, the victim, said, I will never forgive. I will never forgive. Now look, we understand the pain of a mother losing a child. We understand, we can empathize with that. By saying though she will never forgive, that poor mother doesn't realize she has sentenced herself to not just two years in prison, but a lifetime in the prison of bitterness. When you refuse to give mercy and insist on justice, you're robbing yourself of the joy, the settled state that comes from forgiveness. You rob yourself of a blessing in this life and you are in danger of robbing yourself of forgiveness in all eternity. Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Somebody once said, he who refuses to forgive destroys the bridge over which he must one day pass. Blessed, happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then... In verse 8, he talks about the clarity of purity. You know, we all tend to see whatever we want to see. 
There's an old saying, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. What's in our heart determines what we see. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they're the ones who will see God. What does it mean to be pure? Literally, a pure heart is an undivided heart. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, Psalm 24 asks. And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood. To have a pure heart means to have that undivided heart. For example, if I say, I love my wife with all of my heart, that means there is no place in my heart to love somebody else's wife. I love my wife with all of my heart. To love God, to have a pure heart, means there is no love. There is no competition for devotion to him. And then verse nine, he talks about the paternity test of peace. This is interesting, verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Somebody described peace as that glorious moment in history when both parties stand around reloading. Well, that's not really peace. No, true peace means reconciliation. It's not just laying down weapons for a little while and reloading, it is reconciliation. It's reconciliation like God made between us. The Bible says we are born into this world separated from God. Again, there's not one righteous among us, not even one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God took the first step in establishing peace between himself and us. In Colossians 1, verses 19 to 20, Paul describes how that peace was made possible. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. There is only one way to be at peace with God, and that's accepting the forgiveness he gives us based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. If you have really experienced that peace with God, peace is a part of your DNA. It runs through your veins. And you will do everything you can to be at peace with other people. Now, it's not always possible to be at peace with other people, even if you desire it. Sometimes, especially when it comes to matters of faith, we don't have a choice. In Matthew 10, verses 34 to 36, Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Have you ever seen those verses on a Christmas card before? <laughs> I don't know, one person, don't think I came to bring peace, but a sword. What was Jesus saying? He's saying sometimes truth divides people. Now, I'm not talking about your little opinions about something. I'm talking about God's truth revealed in his word. Sometimes that divides people and you can't help that. But Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all 
men. You know, honestly, as pastor of this church, I could divide this church right down the middle if I wanted to over a half a dozen different issues. Predestination, end times, vaccines. I could choose a million different things and divide the church. But that's not God's will. God's will is to be a peacemaker where at all possible. I was the oldest of three children, as you know, and whenever I would have to referee between my brother and sister, they tell the story a little differently, but when I would referee between them, I remember my parents used to say to me all the time, Robert, remember, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That's running in my mind all of the time. If we are truly living according to Christ's standard, we'll seek peace. And then finally, he talks about the joy of persecution. The joy of persecution. Talk about a paradox. He says in verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted, underline this, for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are people, are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely accuse you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, there are a lot of Christians right now who are being persecuted, but they're being persecuted for their own stupidity. They're persecuted for their personal opinions. They're persecuted for all kinds of reasons. There's no reward for that. No, he's talking about Christians who are persecuted for righteousness because of the name of Christ. In 1 Peter 4, Peter said, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers because you're a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it is to the glory in his name. Pastor Andrew Brunson, who spent two years in a Turkish prison suffering because he was a Christian, suffering for the name of Christ. Persecution is an inevitable. Remember, it's also incremental. There are some of you right now, maybe you're a teenager and you're trying to live according to the commands of Christ and you're suffering being isolated. You're not invited to certain parties. Certain people won't be your friends because of your commitment to Christ. There are some of you who are adults. You've been looked over for a promotion, demoted or even fired because you're trying to live a godly life. Some of you are experiencing division with your mate, with your children or grandchildren, all over the issue of faith. What does Jesus say about that? Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. That doesn't mean happy. Let me tell you, I got to talk to Pastor Brunson before the service today. Trust me when I tell you, those two years he was in a Turkish prison, he didn't wake up every morning singing, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day, I've got a wonderful feeling, everything's going my way. It wasn't like that. There's not necessarily a giddiness when you're going through persecution, but there is a genuine joy, the calm assurance that because you are approved of God, ultimately you're going to be blessed and rewarded by God. Blessed 
are you when you are persecuted, for yours will be the kingdom of heaven. You know, I feel like I've preached eight sermons this morning looking at these Beatitudes. But I want to remind you again of the theme. Those who model their actions, attitudes, and affections after Jesus Christ will receive genuine joy in this life and unending happiness in the next life. I've been wrestling all week with how to illustrate to you the connection between the temporary blessings that we experience now and the eternal happiness that is coming one day. And as I was thinking about it, I remembered something that happened to me as a child. You ever have those experiences that are just burned into your memory as a child that you can never forget? One of those happened to me when I was nine years old. Do you remember uh, when Six Flags Over Texas opened up here in the Metroplex? I see Michael Jenkins out there. He was instrumental in designing Six Flags Over Texas. It was the first amusement park of its kind here in the Metroplex. For one price, started at $2.75, you could get into Six Flags Over Texas, and you could ride all of the rides you wanted as many times as you wanted. Our family used to have an annual pilgrimage in the summer to Six Flags over Texas. We could do it once a year, and we so looked forward to the day we were going to Six Flags. And so when I was nine, we went to Six Flags. We had planned for weeks to go. We knew this was going to be the day that we went, and we had the best time, my brother, sister, and I, and my parents. And when dusk, and the sun started to set. We knew it was time to get ready to leave, and so we would meet at the front gate, but we all assembled there. Before we went through the turnstiles into the parking lot to get into our car, our parents said to us, we have a surprise for you. We thought, surprise? They said, the day's not over yet. We're going to get in our car, drive back to our house, pack our bags, and then we're going to drive to Love Field and get on an airplane and fly all night to New York City and spend a week there. We couldn't believe it. As a parent, now I understood the strategy, just wear your kids out all day, find something for them to do so that they will sleep. I didn't realize that. We couldn't believe. Trust me, a day at Six Flags would have been enough. That's all the happiness we could ever imagine. It never occurred to us there could be something even more long-lasting and better. That's what Jesus is promising here. He said, when you live your life according to the way Christ lived his life, there's an immediate payoff. There's a genuine joy. But that genuine joy now is just a prelude to something better and more long-lasting. Jesus genuinely cares about your happiness. He wants you to live in this peaceful zone of personal joy defined on his terms. And there's much more we're going to learn through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. I've titled this best-selling teaching series, 18 Minutes with Jesus. In a moment, David will explain how you can receive the entire study on CD and DVD. Over the years, I've learned that those who listen to Pathway to Victory are devoted learners. People like you care about the words of Jesus and are serious about applying His teaching to their lives. 
And that's the focus of my best-selling book, one that intentionally parallels this teaching series. My book is also called 18 Minutes with Jesus. It includes an in-depth chapter on happiness and nine other topics that are relevant to your life. You can receive your copy of my book when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Your gift not only covers the cost of the book, more importantly, your generous gift is what empowers this ministry to broadcast our message all across America and around the world. When you give, God uses your gift to channel His message to people in all walks of life who consider this program to be their daily oasis of hope, just as you do. So, thank you for giving generously and faithfully. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. You're invited to request the best-selling book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, we're going to send you a study guide to use for group or individual study. Call us at 866-999-2965 or go to our website, ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book and study guide, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or you can find us online, it's easy, ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like. Here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. What's the difference between your job and your purpose? And how does our purpose tie in with our faith? Find out when you join us next time for the message, Straight Talk About Your Faith, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.